The scripture passage this morning is from Genesis 45. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, Make everyone go out for me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, so that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land for these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me, you and your children, and your children's children, and your flocks, your herds, and all you have. There I will provide for you, and there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household, and all that you have, do not come come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin sees, that it is my mouth that speaks to you, You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, do this. Load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan, and take your father and your households and come to me, and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you shall eat the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, Do this, take the wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives, and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. The sons of Israel did so, And Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and gave them provision for the journey. To each and all them he gave a change of clothes, but to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. To his father he sent as follows, 10 donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provision for his father on the journey. Then he sent his brothers away And as they departed, he said to them, Do not quarrel on the way. So they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. And they told him, Joseph is alive, and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb, for he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of the father Jacob revived, and Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Please be seated. 
Well, thank you very much, Julie, and uh, do keep your Bibles open. Uh, is, uh, if you can find a Bible, you'll find a Bible in the uh, front of the pew uh, there as well. We're looking at this section, and again, it's wonderful to have the stars lead us in worship and uh, to be um, a part of this uh, Disability Sunday. Uh, you may be here especially because it is uh, Disability Sunday, and we want to give you a warm welcome if that's the case. One of the reasons why, or the reason why, we as a church so love our STARS ministry and make a disability something that we're not embarrassed about, but is an expression of Christ's love to the, to the weak and of His care for us all in our, all our weaknesses. The, the reason for that is because we as a church have at the heart of what we're doing God's Word. And so as we come now to the Bible, we're looking at this story. And really what we're going to do as we go through this section is look at the story of Joseph from Genesis 42 to Genesis 45, which is quite a long section, but it all hangs together. And it's telling a story of grace and mercy and love. And I want you to grasp on to that message uh, this morning. Now, when you had the passage just read out a moment ago, I wonder if there was one particular phrase that struck you as perhaps funny or at least poignant. Do not quarrel along the way. Those of you who are laughing and smiling will realize there's a backstory to that. And we need, as it were, to understand the whole context of why that phrase opens up a window into God's grace and mercy. For God's grace and mercy for brothers like those who were so prone to be at conflict with each other and jostling for precedence and who's more important and who's first and all the rest. That for brothers like those, there was salvation and redemption. And for people like us, with all our brokenness, with all our tendencies to quarrel along the way, there is also a story, a story of grace and mercy and love. I very much want you to grasp that story this morning. It's very easy, isn't it, for us to think that the story of our lives is going very well. Uh, we are living in just the right kind of house. We projected when we were a teenager that our life would go in a certain sort of way, and it appears to be going in that kind of way. It's very easy to think that we understand the story of our lives, and then, as it were, a famine occurs. It could be a disabled child. It could be a financial reversal. It could be a health issue. It could be a quarrel along the way. And then it is very easy to think that the whole story of our lives is completely out of kilter. It is out of joint, and it is random and malevolent and malicious. And we wonder, it is very easy to wonder, whether there is a God 
And if there is a God, what kind of God is this God? And the story that the Bible as a whole, in particular Genesis, and in particular this section of Genesis, the Joseph Ark, the story that this part of the Bible is wanting to emphasize for us and tell for us is God's sovereign telling of a story that weaves together the elements of our lives for the purpose of our good and His glory and our salvation. God's hand is sovereignly weaving together all the elements of the universe until they come to a climax at the cross. And this story here is, is telling us about that salvation, the salvation that was, in this instance, through the hand of Joseph, who was apparently randomly put right in the right place at exactly the right time so that he might save many lives. And that story is an echo of the big story that God is telling of salvation, not through Joseph, but ultimately through Jesus. So I want you to grasp how God tells that story in your life this morning. And uh, we're going to look at this section, and there are two journeys, a test, and then a revelation of God's sovereign plan all along. The first journey is in chapter 42. If you have a Bible open, you can turn to it. If you can't find a Bible, I'll just tell the story. Jacob uh, sends his sons down to Egypt. There is a famine and uh, there is food in Egypt. The narrator makes sure that we realize that Jacob still has his favorites. He keeps Benjamin close to him, but the others can risk their lives. Remarkably, they actually appear before Joseph who is now the senior administrator of the country. You've got to understand how extraordinary even this part of, of the story is. Joseph is, under Pharaoh, the leader of the most powerful empire that the world had ever seen up until that moment. And the brothers, who are, not, who are foreigners, are brought before Joseph himself. It'd be like um, someone who's not a citizen of this country going to D.C. with a question and a need and being brought before Vice President Pence. How likely is that? Very unlikely. And yet God is bringing about exactly what He had promised would happen through the dreams of Joseph. And so they bow before Him. And now we enter into the tension of the story, the tension, because they do not recognize Joseph, but Joseph knows who they are. I wonder whether that could be the case for you. Perhaps you are here this morning because it is Disability Sunday, and you have various questions and concerns and wonderings about your life and where it's going, and could it be? 
that actually the answer to those questions and those doubts and those concerns is right here among God's people. Even if you don't yet recognize him, Jesus. Joseph knows who they are. They don't know who he is. He tells them to leave one of their brothers with him and bring their youngest next time. They seem to agree. Uh, Simeon, at least, is left in prison with them. Reuben, presumably speaking in Hebrew, thinking Joseph would not understand, though, of course, he does understand. Reuben shows how guilty they have been feeling all along about selling Joseph into slavery. Verse 22 of chapter 42. He recounts that this is happening to them because they did this evil deed so long ago. Isn't it often the case that we Christians carry with us needlessly burdens of guilt sometimes for years? There's a huge difference, you know, between conviction of sin and condemnation. Conviction of sin leads us to the place of new life. Condemnation keeps us stuck in a pit of moroseness and finally death. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you are a Christian this morning, let me encourage you to embrace the conviction. Perhaps it is something you have done years ago. Would you now, even as I am speaking, bring it to God and say to him, Lord, I am so sorry for that. You're right. That was wrong. And as you confess your sin to him, then would you receive the freedom of grace. Don't carry that burden of guilt for years and years and years as they did. Joseph is uh, overcome with emotions. He hears them telling about what they did, and he turns away from them to weep. There's a whole lot of weeping in this passage. They go. Joseph puts their money back in their sacks, and uh, when they get back to Jacob, Jacob refuses to allow them to return with Benjamin. Second journey, chapter 43. The famine is uh, carrying on. It's severe. It's a big famine. It's carrying on. And uh, so they must go back to Egypt to get more food. And they persuade their father to allow them to return with Benjamin. Judah pledges himself as the guarantee that Benjamin will return. We sense a change of heart in Judah. Judah, of course, was the one who made up this plan to sell Joseph into slavery, but now he is beginning to change. It's easy, isn't it, for us to think that someone who is of a certain kind of background or has done a certain kind of thing cannot change. There's no way that they could be given new life and hope and meaning. It's possible that we think that about ourselves. 
but here's Judah. And as Jacob will prophesy later in this story, out of Judah will come the lion of the tribe of Judah. That is Jesus himself. Peter, who denied Jesus, was reinstated and became a shepherd of God's flock. Paul, the chief of sinners, became the great apostle, Judah. Out of him, the lion of the tribe of Judah. In Christ, you can change. And Judah is beginning to do so. Uh, They reach uh, Egypt. Uh, Simeon is brought out to them. Once again, uh, Joseph is overcome with emotion and has to hurry out to find a place to weep. Uh, He comes back and they have a dinner party. Benjamin's portion is uh, five times as big as anyone else's, which must have been quite extraordinary. He didn't just get one steak, he got five. You know, what was Benjamin thinking? What am I going to do with all this stuff? Then comes the test. Chapter 44. Joseph must be sure that they have genuinely repented. They have had a change of heart. And so he tells his steward to put their money back in their sacks and also his special gold cup. The steward overtakes them, makes them realize the importance of the cup by associating it with the Egyptian practice of divination or magic. the, The text is not suggesting that Joseph himself practice divination or magic, but by making that association, he's underlining how important is the cup. Now, there's Joseph, a senior, the senior administrator in a pagan empire. What an example he is for those of us who are called to politics or business or leadership in the world. Joseph, in great wisdom, Manages to walk the line of righteousness, to be light in the world, to be salt of the earth. It's very important for us as a church to encourage those with a calling to business or politics or leadership in the academy or whatever it is who are called to be in the world but not of the world. Here's Joseph as an example of a godly man who walked that line. And he is held up for emulation, example to us, to encourage us. Well, they're brought back to um, Joseph, and Joseph declares that Benjamin, in whose sack the cup was found, shall be his slave. He is testing them. Now, when God forgives us, When God forgives us, he gives us his Holy Spirit, he adopts us into his family, and we are immediately reconciled. But when we forgive each other, we do not have that power, of course, to give someone God's Holy Spirit. That's up to God. But we are called to forgive each other. You may uh, be called to forgive someone who has really quite badly damaged you. Well, you forgive them because Jesus forgave you. 
And however much they have done evil against you, it is nothing in comparison to what you have been forgiven against the infinite holy God. And therefore, you are called to exercise forgiveness and not quarrel along the way. But that is different from necessarily letting down the boundaries and the barriers to let that person back into your life where they could perhaps damage you again. For that, Joseph needed a test to be sure that they had actually changed. And it's appropriate to forgive someone, but not necessarily fully allow them back in until you know that it's safe if they have really badly damaged you. That's what Joseph is doing here. It's very wise. Now comes uh, what one commentator called the finest specimen of dignified and persuasive eloquence in the Old Testament. At the end of uh, this chapter 44, Judah is speaking as if his life depended on it. Except now, as he passes the test, he is speaking finally for someone else's life. He's not a predator, he's a protector. He's no longer a slave trader, he's a brother. You know, the most powerful eloquence in the world is there's nothing unless it has this. Paul teaches the same in 1 Corinthians 13. You can speak with the language of men and of angels, you can, you can have this most brilliant eloquence that on the page in front of you seems like it's perfectly put together, but it is only a clashing symbol, meaningless noise, unless it has love. And what gives Judah's speech such power when you read through it is that finally he is now advocating for someone else. One uh, translator of the Old Testament put it like this, Judah, who conceived the plan of sending Joseph into slavery, now comes around 180 degrees by offering himself as a slave in place of Benjamin. When we tell other people about Jesus and when we preach the gospel, let us do it then with love for the people in front of us. And now we come to chapter 45, the chapter we had read out, which is the revelation of God's sovereign plan to save through the hand of Joseph and ultimately through the hand of Jesus. <clears throat> Joseph can control himself no longer. Everyone but uh, he and the brothers are asked to leave. He weeps aloud so loudly that everyone can hear outside as well. Must have been some weeping. I am Joseph. And his key message is God's providential plan 
to use all this to save them. He repeats it. Verse 5, he says first, God sent me before you to preserve or save your life. You didn't sell me into slavery. God sent me. Then again, verse 7. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth. You didn't sell me into slavery. No, 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 no. No. God sent me. And in case they missed the point, verse 8, so then it was not you who sent me here, but God. Of course, at one level, they did send him there. The story has told us that. But truly and ultimately, God is providentially weaving together the threads of destiny so that they land at the feet of the cross. God sent me. It wasn't you. They weep. They kiss. There's a whole lot of weeping and kissing here. I have to be frank, as an Englishman, it makes me feel slightly uncomfortable. <laughs> sort of yucky. It's like, you know, can we please stop touching, you know, ah. But what's going on is, of course, there's a whole lot of emotion. But the shift that is occurring is now they are greeting each other as family. You see, that's why in the New Testament we are told, and we often laugh about it, we're told to greet each other with a holy kiss. If you are a guest here, don't worry, we're not going to do that. But the kiss in those days was the way that family greeted each other. Some of you know I just got back from England. I was uh, back in London and then went down to Somerset where my parents have retired. My, My father had his 80th birthday and there was a gathering of the family. There's a way that family greets each other. Of course, we don't at church do anything weird. Perhaps it's a side hug or whatever the current Christian subculture might be. But we are family. Brothers and sisters. Are they meant it for evil? God meant it for good, for that which is now being accomplished, the saving of many lives. The brothers go back, they tell their father, and at the end of this chapter 45, Jacob, in verse 38, Jacob, who has behaved sometimes well, sometimes not so well, Jacob is now, once again, given his covenant name, Israel. You notice how carefully the text does that? Uh, Verse 28, sorry, at the end of 45. And Israel said, verse 27, the spirit of their father Jacob revived, and Israel said. 
the etymology, the, etymology, the meaning, the uh, derivation of the word Israel has, uh, people have different opinions about that. Uh, he fights with God and overcomes. Um, some rabbis think it means God wins. God's providence. God wins. God sent Joseph to save his people's life. And the story is asking us to believe that God is in the business of saving people today too. Not now through Joseph, but through Jesus. Now as we come to the end of this sermon, I want then to encourage us to think, uh, as Christians, to think in terms of God's providence. To think. Not simply to feel. So often it feels as if our lives are random. We are simply cast adrift on the ocean of happenstance and luck. Why was I born here? What happened here? Why did my parents do this? Why did this occur to me? Why did the other thing happen to me? How is it that I ended up with a child that I thought would be like this but is actually like that? How did I end up married to this person? Did I marry the right person or the wrong person? How is it that I'm now a grandparent and this is happening or that is happening? Why is this occurring in my business? It's just cast afloat like a piece of garbage on the ocean of unknowing. We feel. And the reason why we so often feel like that is because our feelings are reflecting the message of our culture today, which is that there is no meaning, that life simply is. And the search for meaning is pointless, for there is no meaning, and you just have to seize the day, get your bucket list of experiences, and do it quick before you're in the coffin. But we Christians must think. Uh, John Flavel, uh, a Puritan, said this about God's providence. Providence can only be read like Hebrew words backwards. Would you think about what God has done in your life thus far. You are not here this morning by luck. You are here by divine appointment. And he, the Lord, the sovereign Lord, has a message for you. That message in his sovereign plan is out of Genesis 42 to 45. A very long passage, I agree, but it's a great story, isn't it? And that message is that God is sovereignly interweaving the plans of the whole universe and certainly this family to save you and his people. Think. Of course, it makes all the difference to everything we do in our lives. 
The gifts we have are now for a purpose. The life we have is now for a purpose. The way we pray is now with great significance, for God is sovereign. He, he, may answer, he can answer prayer if it is his will. And so we pray to the one who can actually do something. It changes our evangelism. We now know that it is true that as God says, his word will not return to him empty. There is a sovereign God who is all-powerful. And however much we read about what is going on in the culture or what is happening in this city or this place, all that may be true at one level. There may be a plan for evil, And the brothers may be tempted to quarrel along the way. But that is only half the story or a third of the story or a minor part of the story. There is a bigger story. For there is a big God. And you, Christian, are prized in the center of his will. Grasped in his loving hand set apart for a purpose that you may proclaim the glories of the one who saved you. He didn't send into Egypt. God did. Your parents didn't decide to do that to you. God did for a sovereign plan so that even in all the hurts and all the wounds that Joseph must have felt, Surely, if anyone, he was abused and hurt, sold into slavery, accused. But he was not defined by his wound. He was not a victim. For he knew there was a sovereign God. And it was all according to divine plan. That is so freeing, isn't it? John Newton put it like this, his call we obey, like Abraham of old, not knowing our way, but faith makes us bold. For though we are strangers, we have a good guide and trust in all dangers the Lord will provide. Let's pray together. Lord, there is one way of looking at life. By human choice, our parents got together and decided to um, marry, and uh, there was a decision that uh, they would have children, and we were born in a certain place, and they decided which school we went to, and when we graduated, we made various choices some better than others, and now here we are. Lord, all of that is true at some level, and yet there is a storyteller. It is you, Lord. You are weaving together all the threads of our life, 
so that now, perhaps partially, as we look back, we can see what you're doing. And one day, fully, we will know that all those threads were woven together into a pattern of beauty and love. Would you, Lord, through the um, telling of this story of Joseph, grant us the faith today to boldly believe that not just our past, but our future too, the next step we take has underneath the everlasting arms of our loving Lord. We thank you that is true. We bow before you, sovereign God, and worship you in the name of Jesus. Amen.